0: Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas, or at church1132.com. Smoking Mirrors, part two, our series, James chapter one, verse 22, says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now I want you to catch this because we know the Bible says that when we hear the word of God it produces faith. But this scripture is saying, is saying that when we do the word of God, it produces a blessing. So I want to encourage somebody that just, just hearing the word of God is not enough. James says we've got to hear, but we also have to do. And when we do, then there is a blessing that comes on our life. So we, we've been talking in our first section of this series, Smoke and Mirrors, part one. You can listen to it on the website uh, or on YouTube if you've missed it. But we talked about the mirror that, talk, that they're talking about in James. This is not a mirror of comparison because this is how we usually judge ourselves. We look in the mirror and we see how we measure up to people that are around us. It, well, you know, they're doing that, so it must be okay for me to do that. They're living like that, so it must be okay for me to live like that. But what James is saying, you've got to look into the mirror that is Christ, and you have to really assess Who you are and what you are so that you get an accurate description or an accurate perspective of the way that you're living your life. I think that as a church we have gone away from comparing ourselves to Christ and we have engaged in comparing ourselves with each other. So basically my moral code is just to be better than you. And that's not a moral code. That, that, that has gotten us so far away from what the scripture asks us to do. Some people, they say, well, my pastor does this, so I can do that. I'm going to tell you, people will let you down, pastors will let you down, leaders will let you down. We have to be mature believers in the house of God. We've got to believe that we can look into the perfect law that is Christ and say, okay, where do I need to adjust my life so that I can be more Christ-like? Smoking mirrors is is our series, and we've been talking about this sometimes, and and the, the definition of smoking mirrors is magicians would make things disappear or appear by extending or retracting mirrors Amid a distracting burst of smoke. So we were talking about this that a lot of times we put on something to try to distract from something else. Smoking mirrors is about I'll try to tell you about how great I am. i try to distract you from the area of my life that I don't want you to see. This is why groups are important because groups allow people to look a little bit deeper into your life than what we see on Sunday morning. It, It allows eyes on the areas of your life. I don't know if you've ever been in a lane driving and there's someone in your blind spot. And usually, this for uh, for me, this is my wife. She can see it, but I can't. And so she says, watch out, watch out. There's somebody there. I can't see it. I need somebody to see my blind spot. In your life, you have to have somebody that sees or is able to identify your blind spots. Otherwise, you will find yourself in accidents, crashes, wrecks that you would have never gotten into if you would have just walked in community with someone that can speak into your life and say, hey, there's a car right there. Watch out. But we live in this world, in this culture of Americanized Christianity with smoking mirrors that put the best foot forward, our best face, our best outfit, everything on there. But that is not always an accurate description of who we are or what we are or what we're going through. I uh, was driving on the way home from Dallas last night. Jamie and I were at at a birthday party for a friend. And we were driving on our way back, and, and it, was, it was interesting uh, because there was this car that was in front of us, and they had a, a fish, a, a Christian fish emblem, you know, on the car, which maybe some of you have those. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't do that because that's an area of my life God's still trying to work. And, you know, I say, I'm just being real with you. It's like I don't want to give God a bad name by putting a fish on my car. Um, that's, you know, when you're pulled over and there's a fish on your car, it's just like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. Um, anyways, so we're driving. We were following this, this, this car, and they got the, the fish thing. We took our exit, and we turned down the exit. There was a police officer coming the other way that was pulling over a car on that side of the road. With well, this car, like, saw the police officer with his lights on, and this guy, like, freaked out. He, like, does this little swerve. He turns around, does a U-turn, and takes off. The Jesus fish just, whoosh, just out of there. And I'm like, how funny is that? That it's like there's a Jesus fish on that car. <laughs> but as soon as see the cop with the lights on, they're like, we got to go. So I don't know if there's a warrant. I don't know. You know, maybe they had an emergency. They were going the wrong way. I don't know. But we live in a culture that gives us a mixed signal on who we are. I remember watching football with my dad one time. And a, he was talking about a player. He's like, man, I really like that guy. Uh, he's a really good Christian. And I was thinking about that. that. That's the day we live in. That we have to define what a good Christian is and what a bad, isn't a Christian a Christian? I mean, we got to define it. Oh no, he's a, he's a good Christian. What does that mean? That means there's bad Christians. That means we have some issues. That means we got to talk about this because this is a smoking mirror. This is a misrepresentation of who we really are. I, I was I was looking at a a bunch of bumper stickers after I saw this Jesus fish. I looked up a bunch of bumper stickers, and um, it, it's funny. And I'm kind of hesitant to even say it now because I actually talked about this and made fun of it in the first service, and then a lot of you have these bumper stickers. So I'm really sorry. I'm just going to say this. I'm really sorry if you have them. I think they're funny. Okay, so I'm just going to show. I'm going to show. Just go ahead and put, put up there. Um, Tithe if you love Jesus, any idiot can honk. I actually like this one. Uh, we're going to get these and hand these out for free. Uh, just joking. Let's go, let's go to the next one. Um, do you follow Jesus' close? My wife bought me this one. Uh, yeah. Anyways, what's the next, what's the next one? This one's disturbing. This fish won't fry, will you? I mean, it's like, what? That makes me just want to pull over and repent right there. It's like, yep, I'm getting saved. You got me. I don't want to fry. uh. I don't know if like really we believe that these things are like, I don't know. Anyways, next one. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Although that one offends me. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, Satan will always take you back. That's like, if any of you have this one, just cover it up on your way out of church because everyone's going to be judging you. Um, it's funny though, that we, 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 lo- we love to just display what we believe, and we love to put these things out there, but you know what? Sometimes it's, a, it's an inaccurate description of what we really are. Sometimes we'll slap bumper stickers on things, and I'm not specifically talking about bumper stickers. I'm talking about our life. I'm using bumper stickers as an illustration. Some of you are like getting lower and lower in your chairs. I'm, not, I'm really not trying to rat, rat out your bumper sticker. I'm just saying that we've got to have an accurate description on our life. If we were to label you, We need to make sure that we're labeling you correctly. I'm going to tell you, I think that we live in a culture of Christianity that Christians judge people more than they've ever judged people ever in history. I'm sure it's always been a problem, but it seems like everyone is judged based on what they do or where they come from or how they got there, who's worshiping next to me and why they should be and who's leading a ministry, who's preaching, who's doing this. And you know what? We're all in this thing together. We're all just imperfect people trying to follow Jesus together. And if we would leave the convicting up to the Holy Spirit, we could just love Jesus and help change the world. If we could stop being so concerned with the labels and our Facebook posts and our Twitter handles and everything. If we could be less concerned with that and just saying, I'm going to be authentically who God's called me to be. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That means I'm honest about my mistakes. That means that, 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 that I, I can actually come clean with, with decisions that I've made that haven't been correct. That means I don't have to get dressed up for church and i got to act like everything's okay when it's not. And a lot of churches that I minister in, that I go into, that I read about, that I hear about, it's like you've got to put on for God. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that God knows the thoughts, the motives, and the intents of your heart. He knows every detail of who you are. So that tells me we're putting on for people. The Bible says that that God looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we love that scripture as Christians. We love it. Don't judge me. You don't know my heart. You don't know my heart. How dare you judge me? Uh, I'm going to tell you, we can't see your heart. I can only hear you talk. I can't, I can't see you. See, we forgot about the part of Scripture that says man looks at the outward appearance. It's as if we're trying to convince God. Like, well, you should see my heart. You should. No, listen, people can't see your heart. They can only see your kids. They can't see your heart. They can only see how you live your life. They can't see your heart. They just see how you drive. In my case, that's not good. I am a hypocrite. That is bad. I, I was actually telling Jamie the other day, I, I, just, I, I just got a ticket just the other day. And a couple weeks ago, I told you I got pulled over. And then I told the police officer, it was right here. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a pastor, sir. I, I'm just going right. I'm just going right. And he let me go. It, it, and so two weeks later, he got me. <laughs> got me. And it was, it was my fault, it was a mistake, I was distracted, went a little faster than I should have, and, 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 he, and he got me. And, and so I was telling Jamie, I said, man, you know, it's been like, I was, I'm actually pretty proud of myself. It has been eight years since I got a ticket. And she goes, what about that one? And she started listing off tickets <laughs> that I had forgotten about. And I'm like, oh, I guess, I, I guess I'm not doing... As good as I thought I was, oh well. Uh, I'm going to tell you something, this this culture of Christianity that says, man, don't don't judge me, God sees my heart. I'm going to tell you, we're trying to reach people, and people see the outside of you. They see your behavior, and so we have got to somehow figure out a way to not just hear the word, but we have to do what it says. Galatians chapter 5 is our text today, and we'll we'll pull the rest of our message from. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They're at war with each other. Your flesh, your Spirit, they are at war with one another so that you not, not... so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, Paul's the writer of this to the church, and, and he says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Fast forward a couple years where we are, I don't know if these are as obvious to us as they were to the early church, okay? But, so maybe we need to say, like, maybe pay attention to them, I don't know. It, it says, uh, these are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord. Don't you love how he lumps things together? Like witchcraft's like, oh, I'm not that. Hatred. Oh, got me. <laughs> this discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Not me, selfish ambition. But, ah, got me again. Dissensions, factions, envy. And then he just throws in drunkenness, orgies. I mean, this is like jealousy, orgies. This is this escalated quickly. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, listen to this, the fruit, the evidence, what the Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a lot there. I mean, it's just, I'm convicted already. Just, just, just reading it. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Did you know goodness was fruit of the Spirit? Just being a good person, goodness. Did you know, I told the first service this, this is when I have a hard time, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's like, I've never been naturally gentle, okay. Jamie's like, you really need to work on that fruit of the Spirit, you know. Uh, But gentleness is like, that's not, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? How gentle are you? You ever been asked that question? It's like, how how you doing in your walk? I'm great, man. I'm praying three hours a day and prophesying over my manager. uh, How are you being Gentle. Gentle? <laughs> Who needs gentle? I, I prophesy right now. It's like, I, I, are you, are you, are you, are you good? Are you, are you kind? <laughs> Hold on, right now, I'm gonna pull out the shofar and the. I don't have anything against it, but sometimes we can get so caught up with the things that we do that we miss the actual evidence of the Spirit of God being in us. This scripture begins to talk about a battle that is taking place between my flesh and my spirit. It says that they war against one another, which means that we're inerrantly bad. That means that we have a natural bent towards the wrong thing. And that wages war against the good thing that we're supposed to do. So you should not be beating yourself up too bad today if you're saying, man, I am not gentle. Because everybody has the same battle, which is my flesh is fighting my spirit. There is a battle. They are in conflict with one another. My oldest son, Jude, he um, he learned this at our church preschool. We have a preschool here at the church, and and he learned about sending people to jail. So if he feels like I'm being naughty, that's what he says. He says, Dad, you're being naughty. Go to jail. I'm like, okay. We are about to have another school lesson here. Um, He says, Dad, stop it right now, or you are going to jail. Go to jail now. I was like, okay, you, you, need, you need to stop right now. The, the problem is that he can't say jail, okay? It, it comes out differently. So do not get offended at me, okay, when I play this, because I'm going to play a video. It comes out a different way, but th- his heart's good, okay? So he calls my dad, his, his, his grandpa, he calls him Boppy, okay? Boppy and Button. They started it, I don't know, it's just, that's what they call him. And so, we've been on a car ride, we're about to get out and see Boppy. When I play this video, he jumps out of the car, get him out of his car, so he jumps out, and this is his first words to Boppy after he told us in the car that Boppy has been naughty, and he needs to go to jail. So go ahead, just just play that. You're going to hey, Boppy. He can't say jail. Play that one more time. You're going to hell, Bobby. So he has told my dad, who's been a pastor longer than I've been alive, that he has been naughty and is going to hell. That's how it comes out. That's how he says it. And so, you know, sometimes he just will be running through the house and say, Go to jail! It's like, okay, can we not do that in public? Jail, no. You know, it's like, okay. Um... He, so we're trying to disciple him, but he, he's, he's, he's recognizing there there is a there there is a if you're naughty then there is a consequence. I'm going to tell you that there is a war that is going in on in, in your heart in you, in who you are between what is naughty. And what is nice, between what is good and what is evil, what is bad and what is is good. This is fighting one another. The Bible describes it this way, that your flesh, the flesh, the corrupt and carnal part of you, lusts. It strives and it struggles with strength and vigor against the spirit. It opposes all the motions of the spirit and resists everything that is spiritual. For some of you, that should be like, oh, that's why. That's why I just couldn't like just follow Jesus the way I wanted. You're right, because it's a battle. It's like, that, that's why you react the way that you react. It's a battle. And then he says that the Spirit, the Spirit is the renewed part of us. It strives against the flesh and opposes the will and the desire of it. It's the old nature versus the new, v- new nature. It's remainders of sin versus the beginnings of grace. It's the corruptions of your heart versus the convictions of your conscience. This is what is happening in you. It's like the old school cartoons. You ever seen those with like, like a devil on one side and an angel on the other? And they both are whispering about what to do. It's like jump. Don't jump. Jump. They're Don't. having this conversation. This is more true than you actually think it is. This is like your flesh and your spirit. And they war against you. You ever felt like you have two voices going on in your head? Like, do it, do it, do it. Don't do it, don't do it. Say it, say it, say it. Please don't say it. Don't say it. Please don't say it. And you have this battle that goes on within you. That is your flesh and your spirit. And the more that you feed your flesh, the stronger that it gets. The more that you feed your spirit... The stronger that it gets. So the reason that we consistently fail is because we have strong flesh and weak spirit. That's why this scripture says you have to learn how to live, walk, depend, lean on the spirit. When you are at church, you're feeding your spirit. When you listen to worship music, you're feeding your spirit. When you spend time in prayer, you're feeding your spirit. When you say positive things, just positive things about your life, and you declare the word of God, that's feeding your spirit. When you read the Bible, it is feeding your spirit. You can listen to an audio Bible, and it feeds your spirit. You can go to a small group and talk about the word, and it feeds your spirit. Community feeds your spirit. These things feed your spirit. All kinds of things feed your flesh. Things you watch, things you listen to. And I'm not telling you what is right or what is wrong to watch. I'm just going to tell you if what you're watching resembles any type of struggle that you're losing, then you have to be careful what you're watching. Because it's showing you that the flesh is stronger than your spirit in a certain area. When I'm talking with men, uh, talking about impurities, they say, well, I don't want to do this and this and this, and I don't want to watch this and this, but I want to watch this. This is causing the weakness in that. Everything that feeds your flesh comes in seed form. If it came fully developed, fully grown, you would never engage in it. If you saw what that sin was about to do to you, you would never do it. But when it comes in seed form, it is easy. And you partake of the seed, but the flesh is getting stronger and stronger. And then you're over here and you keep on losing this battle. And you saying, why am I losing the battle? It is because the flesh is overcoming the spirit because you have fed the flesh so much. Galatians Chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, this is what they're saying is that and as we start out on this, we start to, to, to really develop this, we have to have the right dependence. You've got to depend on the right thing. Verse 16 said, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. What does that mean? Feed the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Another tense of that word says depend on. So I'm going to depend on, I'm going to lean on, I'm going to rely on the spirit so I don't gratify the desires of my flesh. Do you know it's natural for you to have impure thoughts? Impure inclinations? I know, I know... Like some of us, we never want to admit that at all. And, and you're sitting with your husband or wife right now, and you're like, wait, you have impure thoughts? It's like, yeah, they do. They, they do. They, they really, I'm, I'm trying to rat them out, but they do. Everybody does. It is what we feed that grows. And it is, my dad used to use this illustration. It was kind of silly, but he, he said, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest there. You can't keep temptation from entering your household but you can keep from engaging in it. Which means that you, it's not, doesn't mean that you'll never have an impure thought, it's what you do with the thought. It is, when I have a thought, but my spirit is too weak to overcome it, now it leads to an action, and I'm frustrated because of what I'm walking in and living in, but it's because I have not fed my spirit. We have to have the right dependence. You can tell what you lean on by what you reach for when you're falling. What's the first call you make when crisis hits your house? What's the first call you make when someone mistreats you? What's the, what's, what's, the, what's the first thing that you lean on when you're going through a financial struggle? Work more hours. Do more. Talk more. I need someone to talk to. I need someone to venture. I'm not saying that you don't need relationships. Your relationships can't substitute your dependence on God. You have to have the right dependence. What you depend on is what you sow into. So whatever I'm leaning on, I begin to sow into it and get stronger. If I'm leaning on my flesh, I'm sowing into my flesh. And my flesh is getting stronger and stronger. What you depend on will be shown by either an absence or an evidence of the spirit or of the fruit in your life. If I have the right dependence, then I will have the right evidence. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The right evidence. If I have the right dependence, I will naturally produce the right evidence. Some people say, well, man, I just want to pray. I just got to pray for the fruit of the Spirit. Patience come now. That's not how it works. It's fruit. That means it has to grow. So that means I have to foster an environment of my life that will grow something from it. That means that I didn't just wake up one day and i like, hey, Jamie, I'm gentle. God gave it to me last night. It's like, no, this is something that I have to produce over a, a, a long time of living and walking and being connected to God. Right dependence creates right evidence. You are either led by the Spirit, or you follow your flesh. Now I need you to see this just real quickly. It says that you shouldn't do these works or acts of the flesh. What that is, that's reactive. Something happens and you react to it. You're envious because something happened, now you're reacting to it. You're angry because something happened, you're reacting to it. You are uh, in sexual immorality because you had a temptation, you're reacting to it. To live by the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit is proactive. One is reactive, one is proactive. Proactive says, God, I'm connected with you. I'm connected with you, I'm connected with you, I'm connected with you, and out of this connection begins to come fruit. And that fruit does not come in prophecy, or in faith, or it comes in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So when I'm sitting there on my computer, and I'm like, don't post this, don't post this, don't post this, oops, I post. That's not self-control. That is an absence of fruit in my life. I've got to be able to walk in a... So I don't just pray, God, give me self-control. I say, I've got to get my connectivity with you right so that naturally self-control is produced. See, the gifts are something that God gives you. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are something He gives you. God used a donkey in the Old Testament to prophesy. So people come to me all the time and say, Pastor... I want to get up on stage and prophesy, God can use a donkey to prophesy, I want to see your fruit, because your fruit is what gives influence to your gift. And in the American culture, we've got it twisted around. If you have a great gift, then we'll give you a stage. But the great gift lacking the fruit is a fraud. It is a smoking mirror because I really don't know who you are. So I have to trust your gift while your life is lacking fruit. No, please show me the fruit so I can trust your gift. Does this make sense? I know this is like, this is not the, the, the greatest, most rah rah message you've ever heard. This is not the message that people ask me to come speak conferences on. Pastor Justin, will you please come talk about the fruit of the Spirit? People don't want to hear about this. But I have this like sneaking suspicion that this could be the thing that changes our world. Oh, that's so outlandish. Well, what if the church started operating in patience? Peace. Love, I mean, just think through your timeline on social media and just apply the fruit of the Spirit to it and ask yourself the question, if the church started to operate in love and in joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, what would happen? The world would be like, what is going on? There is such a shift. There's such a change. People would look at you and say, something is different about you. The fruit of the Spirit should be the byproduct of a spirit-filled life. Well, Pastor Dustin, I've been saved for 37 years. Let me tell you a thing or two. I just hope that there's a lot of fruit. If you have if you have been, if you really, if, they, if that's true, you've been serving the Lord, there's been connectivity with the vine, you, you, you're connected with Him. Then I just hope there's a ton of fruit. And be careful about throwing judgment or throwing uh, preferences around if there hasn't been first a production of fruit from your life are you operating in patience i'm going to say the fruit of the spirit over i know it's like it's, it's kind of heavy because it's it's all of us we struggle in this area because we want the gifts we want all of these things that people can see but that is just seems so blah it seems gentle on this Goodness, it sounds so ordinary. I can't do anything about my self-control. I have a temper. No, you being led or depending on the spirit will produce the spirit inside of you that is able to overcome the flesh. Well, I'm I'm just naturally drawn towards depression and darkness. It is because your flesh is so empowered by the seeds that you're putting in it that your spirit doesn't have a chance. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, we'll start closing down with this story. It says, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, found nothing on it except for leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. In the... Another account in Mark, it said two days later when Jesus came by, he saw that the tree had now withered. Now people have asked questions about this text for years because why is Jesus cursing trees? I mean, it's like not the tree's fault. It didn't have fruit on it when he happened to walk by. But if you actually study the story, the fig tree actually can produce fruit 10 out of 12 months. The the fig tree was always accompanied. Fruit was always accompanied by leaves. So if you saw the leaf of a fig tree, underneath the leaf there would be fruit. It would not grow a leaf independent of fruit. Okay, this is really important. So when Jesus was walking, the first thing he saw was leaves. So he said there must be fruit. So when he walked up to the fig tree who had shown him its leaves, guaranteeing fruit, he lifted up the leaf and there was no fruit. Some scholars say that he actually didn't even Make it die. It showed dysfunction because there was a leaf and no fruit. So he cursed it because he knew that it would die. So when he came by two years, two days later, the disciples were astonished not that he had cursed and had died, that he was right, that it was about to die, because he had identified dysfunction in the vine. Now you have to catch this because a lot of us as believers, we look good. We've got the leaves that should guarantee the fruit. And so when people come up to us and believers come up to us and say, oh, man, wow, you go to church 1132, wow. And, and, and then they hang out with you. And they get to see underneath the leaves. And they're saying, oh, there's no f- fruit. They, they see you worship. And when they hang out with you, they hear you gossip. But you had such, the leaves, I thought they would be the fruit. This is where we have completely hypnotized our Christian culture into believing whatever leaves we put on that day. Whatever bumper sticker, whatever label, whatever social media, whatever, anything that we put on is like, that's who we are, but the truth is, if you lift up the leaves, are we? Is there fruit? I know this is, like, rather convicting because it is for me. The, the, this is the truth is whatever you preach, God first tests you in. So this has been a fun series. It's like, man, give me a break, God. Like, this, 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 this is wild. Gentleness, goodness, self-control. Some people are like, well, this is what makes me feel better. I just got to punch a hole in the wall. Listen, you know why that makes you feel better is that's what you're leaning on. But if you would lean on the Spirit, He would help you just as much as punching the hole in the wall. But you have conditioned yourself to lean on the flesh, and it has made the flesh powerful in your life. And now you are unable to live by the Spirit. So we've got to reorganize things and say, God, this is the question. How do we get connected to the vine? Or in other words, how do we bear good fruit? And it's found in this as we close, John chapter 15. Verse 1 through 4. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So Jesus is the vine. you got to follow this. Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch, or let's just say this, no believer can bear fruit, and whatever fruit of the Spirit you need, you can just insert it in there. So let's just say, no, Dustin can bear, cannot bear patience by himself. Dustin must remain in Jesus, neither can he bear goodness, gentleness, self-control, love, joy, any of them, unless he remains in Jesus. So the fruit of your spirit, the fruit of the spirit is based on your connectivity to God. So uh, I'm going uh, I'm getting fired up. I'm going to develop the fruit. No, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. It doesn't. The fruit's a byproduct of a connected life. So when I see people that are just good, when I see people that are patient, oh, they must be connected. Because God used a donkey, King James Version, do you know what that is? To prophesy. He used a donkey to prophesy. Saul, when he was walking in pride, says he walked with the company of the prophets and he began to prophesy. Oh, wow, Saul, you must be a good man. No, anybody can be used in a gift. The fruit is the greatest test of all. I know some of this is outlandish, some of this is maybe shocking to some of you. It's just like, wait, I, I, that's just a total paradigm shift. I believe that revival is not going to come from a greater visibility to the gifts. I think that revival is going to come to our nation by the fruit of the Spirit. I, I've never heard someone say this in my life. I think revival is going to come to America. By a revi- Revival means to revive, to bring back to life. I believe it's going to come through a revival of the fruit. Because if the world sees a revival of the fruit, then they will trust the gift. Do you know what? People can't even give tithe in churches anymore. Because they don't know if the church they're tithing to has the fruit. They see the gift up here. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll be real honest with you. It's easier to say this stuff than it is to live it. And I'm a hypocrite if I can stand up on this stage and say it to you, but I can't walk down there and walk it with you. I, that, that, it's weight. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, it is easier to talk about it than to sit where you, I, I feel bad for you today. Because it's easier to say, hey, where's the fruit, guys? Pick it up. Than it is to sit there and say, Wow. I am really an impatient person. But I've got to walk down off this stage, and then i got to live this. But we have people that can't give in churches. We have people that can't commit to churches. We've got people who, who, who just question everybody. You know why? Is because you can't trust the gift. And the reason is not because the gift has not been good. It's because there's been no fruit. That's why people can fall into sin, and still continue to minister, and it's, it's caused huge rifts in the body of Christ. We were saying, how could God use someone like that if they were having this moral failure the whole, uh, this whole time, they're stealing money from the church this whole time, how can God continue to use them? Because being used by God does not necessitate fruit. God used a donkey. The anointing doesn't fall on your goodness. The anointing will just fall on people, and you can operate in a gift, but the fruit? Watch what power comes to the gift when you see the fruit. It is the evidence of a God-connected, God-centered, God-mature life. Oh my goodness, look at that self-control. You are connected. John says, this is, this is how you do it. You just stay connected to the vine easier said than done, but this is what it means is whatever opportunity you get to be in the house of God, be in the house of God. Whatever opportunity you have to be around other believers, be around other believers. Whatever opportunity you have to listen to, read the Word of God, be in it, be around it because when you do, that God-centered life naturally produces fruit. Nobody ever goes up to an apple tree and is like, apple. Right? If the tree's healthy, it will naturally produce. And if the church is healthy, it will naturally produce. And if the Christian is healthy, it will naturally produce. And no matter what happens on November 8th, no matter what happens in 2017, no matter what happens in the future, if the church can receive from God the fruit, the evidence of a God-centered, God-connected life, then we can bring revival to a nation, we can change our city, we can change our families. I'll close with this last thought and we'll be done. And I'll leave you alone because I know it's harder out there than it is up here. Do you know what God's really been getting me with as I talk about this? Our kids. I got two boys. And you know, it's, you know how it is when you're young, whatever, you, you worry about you. Me and Jamie get married, we want to travel, we want to do this, we got all these great plans and whatever. And, and then you bring these humans into the world who totally wreck your life for the good, for the good. Also wreck your sleep patterns and everything. Else. But you bring these, and then you start to change a little bit, though. Because you realize, and Pastor Neeson spoke last week. He told me this. He sat down with Jamie and I. He said, your kids will be the best of you and the worst of you. Whatever part, the best parts of you and the worst parts of you will be in your kid. That's scary. That is really scary. So let me tell you this, your kids will not be what you teach them to be. They will not be what you tell them to be. They will be what you are. You, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. So this is what, this message is what's really getting me, is I, got, I gotta, I gotta have evidence. You can sit here and listen to me preach You can get on YouTube and search my name He can watch me preach can, That's all gift But he has to see fruit Because I've seen gifted people lose their kids Because they had great gift But they didn't have any fruit So, so if, I, if I neglect If I neglect fruit And he sees me as flashy and passionate And loud and, and That doesn't help him This up here, this doesn't help him when I go home and how I treat his mom, how I speak to him, how I deal with crisis, how I deal with storms, how I deal when people talk bad about me, how I deal with social media, how I deal with the environment of our culture, how I deal with that, that is evidence of a God-connected life. And that's what I have to give my boys, that there's actually evidence of connection, not just something for I'll leave you alone. I, I'll tell you this, if you're feeling discouraged, don't feel discouraged. This is a natural battle that goes within us, and we can win it, and He gives us the remedy. He says you gotta, li- you gotta live a spirit-led life. Stop depending on that, and depend on this, and when you depend on this, it's gonna grow your spirit, build your spirit, and then you're gonna be able to conquer your flesh. You know, I used to have the worst temper, I used to have the most, I mean bad, lose my mind, fits of rage, and I never lose my temper. Well, you grew out of it. No, I grew my spirit. Because I still feel angry sometimes. I still get angry, but I don't react the same way. Because, thank God, I'm maturing. maturing. This is what, we're on a journey together. We've got to mature so that we have evidence of a God-connected life. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.